Hello, welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and I'm joined uh, today by a comrade and friend of mine who uh, uh, I organize with in the Party for Socialism and Liberation, um, and I'm excited to talk to them all about um, uh, a revolutionary socialist work, um, especially as it relates uh, to here um, in Milwaukee. You know, talking about having some revolutionary optimism right now uh, because we need all of that that we can get. So, um, Maddie, thank you for joining me on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me, Ben. You bet. Uh, thanks for bringing the LaCroix, too. Yeah. Um, I'm fresh out. So, <laughs> luckily, Lex bought some recently. So, we've got a few in the fridge. Shout out to Lex. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're big, sparkling water people. Mm hmm. Um, I'm usually the one who buys it. I think about it a lot more frequently when I go grocery shopping. Um, but I think the last couple trips I brought something home and Lex decided we should try to keep it, uh, stocked in the fridge. Yeah. Lex is my partner, by the way, for those who do not know. Yes. Shout out to Lex. Um, first things first, how are you doing today? Today I'm doing all right. Um, I'm actually looking forward to tomorrow because I made a, plan to ride my bicycle to work and the forecast looks pretty decent um i have uh rheumatic arthritis and when i bike more frequently my pain levels are pretty low Mm -hmm. um and i feel like i'm coming even just in these last couple days i've been coming off of kind of a long flare-up where i've been in a lot of pain but like i'm i'm feeling good physically today and I'm optimistic about moving into this nicer weather and having yeah. the opportunity to just feel good more of the time. I'm so glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's gonna. The sun's actually gonna come out tomorrow. I think it, I saw it's gonna get up into the 60s, so that will be very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is shitty out today. <laughs> <laughs> it got cold, windy, and wet pretty quick. Yes, it did. Um, but uh, that's to be expected. Uh, April in Wisconsin. It's been a long time coming for us to like, like actually do this. I know we talked about it a while. Definitely, it was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're like, we'll figure something out, and then now is the time. Yes, We're it here. is. And that being said, uh, Maddie, what we talk about in Mister Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity, and um, you know, in the last two years or so, um, when the pandemic hit and quarantine hit, uh, or, or we were put in quarantine um i just explaining to give some context to those listening um i uh i like many got increasingly disillusioned with uh electoral politics and an increasing distaste for the way our government was uh you know handling affairs so when bernie lost the primary about two years ago i was kind of just like well fuck it what do we do what what is the answer here and uh I like vaguely knew him, but Bobby Penner mm-hmm. left a, a comment on my Facebook status. The time to organize is now. Join us. That's right. And uh, I joined the PSL from that point. Um, and I had my uh, entry chat with you. That was two years ago. Can you believe it? <laughs> Time's flying. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of folks, you know, we, we've seen people come and go as things have kind of lifted up and political awareness and activity is heightened and folks have fallen back 
for you know any number of reasons but i'm always definitely grateful for the folks like you who who came and started organizing not not even specifically with us but definitely beneficial because i get to know folks and comrades if they're organizing with the psl um but like watching people and um kind of grow and develop and and feel like you know the the things that we're doing the things that we're organizing around and what we're fighting for actually kind of gives us some hope for the future which you know falling into falling into nihilism i understand and i can see it's an easy trap and i've been there myself as well yeah but um (laughs) uh, our comrade tom said in a in a meeting once that like the best solution um to curing depression is to organize with your comrades for revolution yeah and that has definitely been the case for me and 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 even more so you know seeing the seeing seeing our comrades come together and seeing things and changes that are being made in the city either directly or influenced by by what the work that we're doing mm-hmm. um really makes me feel like we're actually building a foundation for something that's going to lead to even more power in yeah. terms of putting that back in the hands of the working class. Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, the, the, the momentum of the people at large, you know, uh, you know, it definitely ebbs and flows at times, mm-hmm. but there's also um, uh, like, as far as like, you know, people organizing in, in masses, but like, like we saw with the historic uprisings two years ago, understandable that you know people can't always uh they don't always have time to 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 get out in the streets or to plan actions or to you know do um literary studies of of theory like you know a lot of that stuff unfortunately thanks to you know uh us living under capitalism and having to work for you know shitty wages uh just to just to get by and pay our bills and everything you know it's a manufactured problem for it to be hard for us to engage in this kind of work but you know we do have a really strong set of comrades and even even in the small victories like we're we're, uh we've, we've been making impact in the community as time has gone on we've made friends we've we've had amazing or uh events and uh and we just get to share this this theory and this knowledge and um, understanding of material conditions with people, you know, like mm. it's it's like it's one of those things where it's like once you know it, you you can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And people get it too. And, you know, we're 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 doing at least with the you know, we're kind of broken up into some groups that are working yeah in various parts of the town, but like the the group that I've been working with we've been consistently setting up providing mutual aid throughout the winter in terms of like sanitary supplies, warm clothing and all sorts of things. And we, we meet, you know, there'll be people who come up and talk to us and it'll be Mm -hmm. the only time we see them, but we're actually developing relationships with people who live in the neighborhood and the community. We know people on first name basis. Now they know us. Um, and what, what's really kind of powerful to that and has been eye opening for myself and the folks that we've been doing that is that like, these concepts of of socialism, um, these concepts of just like humanity working together to care for one another and using the you know the the value that we create mm-hmm. as workers and as oppressed people to benefit us as workers yeah. and oppressed people. Um, you don't have to even necessarily use these like highly theoretical concepts to explain right. it because just the 
existence under in in the in this capitalist system reveals all these contradictions to right. people. Yeah. So it's it's becoming easier and easier to actually have these conversations with people yeah. to not have to like recoil or cringe because we're talking over them but we're actually like a part of of these communities i mean we live we live in these communities we are working class we are oppressed people um and we all understand like the like you were saying there's this thing that just kind of we see that there's a there's a roadblock in in following the steps that are laid out for us and it's very intentionally done so totally um and people are sick of it but People don't necessarily know how to move forward, but if we're out there and we're helping in in that process of like educating our communities um, where they're at, at their mm-hmm. understanding, but also having having the understanding that like everybody has a capacity that yeah. they that we might not see in them, yeah, um, we can build these people up in these communities so that that again, you know, there's there's so much that we've accomplished with like four people. Mm-hmm. 10 people 20 people within our yeah. within our branch here in milwaukee on yeah. specific subjects if we could bring that to like 50 people mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not they're with our organization but yeah. understanding like we're all working together it yeah. like <laughs> the the possibilities are so huge yes. and that's what excites me yes yeah and uh, exactly yeah um and like you said, you know, people are getting tired of it, you know, as we continue descending into, you know, this late stage apparatus uh, that funds war mm-hmm. and exploits poor people and, uh, um, yeah, just marginalizes people for profit. Um, yeah, I mean, people are getting to their breaking points. The uh, the pandemic and, and the, the U.S. government's handling of it. Uh, and uh, um, just a lot of the individualist uh, implications of the way Western society has viewed um, the pandemic and people's responsibility towards it has, you know, I think that the U.S. and its um, its machine, not only its machine, but also also its imperialist nature, mm-hmm. its colonialist nature mm-hmm. it's i only i'm gonna do what i want because like that's all that matters to me um a lot of that is being dismantled and we're seeing a lot of the hypocrisies behind that and Definitely. um and we're gonna um talk all about that kind of stuff in a bit um but first maddie um one thing i like to talk to comrades and and uh you know, fellow organizers uh is just sort of like what kind of like led you onto this path of radicalization and and where you kind of eventually found yourself um in this in in this uh line of of organizing so let's go with some background first so maddie you are from uh southern illinois correct correct right on so yeah tell me a little bit about you know whatever you're comfortable with sharing like growing up like i guess like what were some if any like little things that you know you experienced when you were younger growing up that you know you felt would become precursors to, you know, becoming radicalized. Definitely. Um, yeah, there's there's like so many points. I'm sure like any of us can start at when asking this this really big question. Yeah. Um, so I'll try to I'll try to um, 
try to go way back and sure. make a couple of jumps. Yeah. But I, you know, you mentioned I'm from Southern Illinois. Um, so I was born in Carbondale, Illinois, um, which is from, if, for those who don't know in Milwaukee, it's about a seven hour drive south mm-hmm. of here. Yeah. Um, and I like to tell people, um, from Wisconsin specifically who, um, are unaware of the kind of cultural difference that, that you encounter once you get past a certain point within Illinois, culturally, it, I think it's more akin to like what people imagine like Western Kentucky is like, okay. Um, there's coal mines down there, there's mm-hmm. hills, there's, there's like huge forests that I spent a lot of time when I was younger kind of climbing and exploring, mm-hmm. um, very different from, you know, flat driving through, um, Illinois cornfields yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's not to say they aren't there, but, um, sure. Yeah. It gets a little more interesting. Um, what physically and then so myself uh i was born into a family where my my father was in the army um we traveled a lot i don't have a whole lot of memory of my earliest experiences but definitely you know two weeks after i was born we flew over to babenhausen in germany which was at Mm. the time west germany sure um and was stationed there for a while um came back live with my grandparents um and while my father traveled around for various army things um also spent some time in oklahoma in lawton Mm -hmm. um there's a fort fort sill is out there sure um and then came back Uh, my parents separated my mother raised me um and my sister who's five years younger than me Mm -hmm. um and we grew up in um low-income public housing sure in the town we were at my mom was didn't have a college degree um she was working you know whatever kind of gig work she could get trying Mm -hmm. to raise the two of us um i specifically remember her working for qvc at some point like packaging sure um shower hooks because i just remember Mm -hmm. it was like wow we got these shower hooks that we see on tv and there's like no other way we would have got them and that was sort of the like early kind of understanding of you know now looking back i have the words for it but like kind of class consciousness that all these things that we see on tv is like a special gift for us to be able to have and yeah um and you know i remember also remember around fourth or fifth grade um my mom had found some shoes in a dumpster and i felt extreme shame about wearing these shoes that were found in a dumpster but they're like the nice shoes that all the kids had sure um, I had a bunch of hand-me-down clothes from from a stepsister, mm-hmm. and just kind of the the like feelings of of being, you know, othered. Yeah, like yeah. my friends have all these nice new clothes, all these new toys. They got the PlayStation, they got the Super Nintendo, yeah. and we never really had that. Mm-hmm. Um, and every now and then we could, if if like things were right, like we'd yeah. get a little bit. So that sort of um, upbringing, the like shame, yeah, kind of helped put this idea of of class difference in in me. I didn't have the like understanding to necessarily to like explain it, yeah. But the one thing that like is incredible through the whole time is that like my mother was and. St- She's passed now, but she's also one of the most like empathetic people that I've ever had the experience of mm-hmm. of 
living with and, sure. and, and spending time with. And we would see, you know, folks who were unhoused, uh, people asking for money. And she always immediately just like connected with them as mm-hmm. a person, would help them out in whatever way we could. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, I think I, I'm thankful that I had that early experience of understanding that like, but there's always somebody who could have things worse. Sure. Um, as we're growing up, you know, become kind of an angsty teenager, mm-hmm. get into punk rock music, start mm-hmm. playing guitar, start playing drums. Um, and uh, the Iraq, the Iraq war starts, the um, second Iraq war. Mm-hmm. We've got friends and family who are um, being sent off to war. And I, this is also at the same point where there was a there was a factory in the town that I grew up that shut down. It was mm-hmm. a Maytag factory. Okay. And um, this was like one of the largest employers in the region. Um, and so I'm seeing all these people having to be separated from somebody and their family. I'm, I'm hearing about a bunch of people who are losing their jobs mm-hmm. and all this stuff and realizing that like even people who had things better than us are now getting put in these in these situations. And that kind of turned me into like well fuck this country yeah yeah yeah. um and through high school i would like turn my back to the flag whenever it was Mm -hmm. time to say pledge of allegiance um i'd like yell anarchy really loud and stuff and just (laughs) like you know like uh, in a small kind of generally conservative low in town that's predominantly lower income but also you know some folks with money there's definitely like a class divide there Mm -hmm. just sort of seeing how things played out gave me like little hope kind of for my future yeah um where i felt like things were slowly getting better as we were getting older with my mom she got a degree she put herself through college became a teacher Mm -hmm. um she remarried uh somebody who's a fantastic person who was able to you know help me as I'm growing, um, be the, be a, a paternal, a father figure for me that, sure. that I was, um, missing out on and that, you know, things just kind of get more and more, um, heightened Afghanistan war starts with Afghanistan mm-hmm. and the surveillance state is happening. All this stuff is just like incredible heightened, like over patriotism. That's yeah. not unlike, you know, anything that, it like it's been consistent and it keeps moving and you know we we're also seeing a new sort of form of that today as well but like these are the things that really just sort of was like the foundation of yeah this something's not right yeah yeah for sure thank you for sharing all of that um i can relate um about a lot of what you know when you're saying that when you were a kid like um your like a lot of your peers, you know, had, you know, some of the more like expensive toys and luxuries to play with. Like I relate to that too. Cause I grew up in a Chicago suburb and, you know, my family was like up until like the recession in the late two thousands that we were, we were doing all right, but we still were never wealthy by any means. Mm-hmm. And kind of what you're saying, you know, you, you repeatedly like said, like, you didn't have the words for it at the time, but now you do. And, and I think of like, I was a big Nickelodeon kid growing Mm -hmm. up. I watched Mm -hmm. a lot of Nickelodeon and right. And, but you don't realize at the time, all the hyper consumerism that's being fed through 
these children's uh, channels, um, like all the commercials with all the really elaborate, extravagant toys. Like I remember, like there's a Hot Wheels set. I'd be like, Mom, I really want that Hot Wheels set, or Mom, I really want like an Xbox, or Mom, I want I need these Nerf guns. Yeah, the Nerf guns. Uh, all that was and. Like, all the time, like, you know, she'd either say, we can't afford it, or you'll have to wait till, like, maybe Christmas or something, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. and I didn't think of, like, now it's like, yeah, those are um, subtle, like, economic grabs that are targeted towards kids Mm -hmm. who are just so, like, naive and easily impressionable. Um, And it, it kind of pits this, like competitiveness between you and your 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 peers like oh which kids have the coolest toys like mm-hmm. oh my mom got me this well my dad got me that and it's like it's kind of like yeah looking back at it it's like yeah that's kind of fucked up you know because <laughs> like being conditioned yeah at a very young age to be willing and happy with just giving all of the small amount of money that we deserve um that we receive back yeah, to these corp- yeah, corporations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what brought you to Milwaukee? Um, yeah, so I ended up going to going to school at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Um, I really didn't have any aspirations or motivations to do so, but thankfully, my wonderful mother kind of kicked me in the ass and mm-hmm. was like. Um, I know you seem to think that you you're comfortable, you know, working at this gas station for the rest of your life. And I'm not saying this to like knock down people who who do that sort of work, but um, because I I I may have been totally comfortable doing that. But she she was like, uh, I think I can see that you think very hardly. You're very critical of things. That there's a lot more that you could be doing with yourself. Sure. Um, and this actually, okay, so this ties into something that also kind of helped maybe radicalize me as well. Late high school, I was considering joining the National Guard to mm. pay for school sure. because I had no idea how I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, my I, as I mentioned, my father was in the Army. He drove um, to Illinois and... and What's in my memory is just like drop of a hat. My mom called him and was like, you cannot let your child join. Um, And he came and he explained to me just, you know, what what I would be told and then what the reality would be. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was confusing to me because my dad was a recruiter. Yeah. And so I started thinking, well, it's not okay for me to go and do this, but this is what you were doing with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, you know, there's a understanding that when you are in the military, when you are in the army, you have to commit to doing what they tell or go to jail. Yeah. Um, and you know, I won't, I don't want to talk about my father beyond that point cause yeah. he is still living. Um, and I would like to try to keep the peace as much as possible. I understand. But, um, you know, that was sort of the thing that made me think, well, what's up? Like, what's up with this? Why is it okay for like poor black and brown people from, you know, the Midwest yeah. 
to go send off to fight these wars, mm-hmm. but it's not okay for me. Right. Um, as I'm in school, I go to I got I go to junior college. I get my associate's degree, and then I start pursuing a degree in art. And I was studying sculpture and printmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was in school, there was a uh, a teacher strike where mm-hmm. the faculty went on strike. Um, for better pay, yeah. um, better like boundaries being set for the type of work that they they needed to do, better resources, mm-hmm. um, and I remember sitting, thinking, you know, I have this instructor Jerry, who has kind of opened my eyes to the ability to like create things and make things out of wood that nobody has ever been able to make me be like I can do this. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in doing this. The school was saying we are going to get people to come in to fill the roles of these instructors and they will be just as qualified as your instructors so do not worry you can continue to work through and get your degree knowing it'll be the same quality and i was thinking there's no fucking way (laughs) yeah right yeah (laughs) the person they bring into this woodworking class was somebody who worked in the administ like the higher administration of the department and he straight up was like you know i can't I can't teach you what Jerry can teach. Mm. Um, so I'm going to explain how to properly cut a bagel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the next day I was out on the picket line with the teachers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Um, that, and, and that was kind of my first like political move. Sure. Instead of thinking about it and like being edgy or annoyed or yelling in a punk rock band about it, um, I took action. I actually put myself on the line. And that's when I start having these deeper conversations with mm-hmm. faculty um and we marched and we like pounded on the doors of the administration build administration building um and that was very like extremely exciting because it was hundreds of people hundreds of students my classmates also all from all across the university that were out there um and that was sort of like my my first taste of um collective collective action sure yeah i can't remember specifically the results of the contract um that came out and i know that there were some some of my professors have ended up leaving the school because i don't think that i can't recall exactly but i feel like it was a pretty weak contract that they got sure um but then at that time as well um I think I mentioned there's like coal mines in Southern Illinois, yeah. mm-hmm. Peabody coal, um, known gangsters, the, the, um, Ooh, some of the, the, <clears throat> I think they hired the Pinkertons. They're like the original people who hired the Pinkertons to come in and just like, you know, murder, yeah. uh, union people mm-hmm. and put scabs in their place. Um, they were trying to set up fracking infrastructure in Southern Illinois and, mm-hmm. um, because there's a huge reservoir of natural gas. Well, there's also a bunch of of water water systems in southern illinois that could very easily be compromised it's oh, yeah. um i mean southern illinois <clears throat> if if it weren't for the army corps of engineers would mostly be kind of like swampland area mm. um damn and this is around the same time that my mother starts having health issues um she ended up losing her battle to cancer Um, And then not long after, my stepdad also develops cancer and can't do anything about it because he had spent all of his savings, all of his life savings, all of his pension, everything. Got a new, I think, a new mortgage taken out on the house to take care of my mother. So he's just like, there's nothing I can do. Um, And this was this was kind of the the like (laughs) 
something is not like this. There's no going back from kind of realizing the way that all these things that have been promised to us, my mom going to school, mm-hmm. getting a degree, becoming a teacher, um, all the we did all the right things and it was just mm-hmm. like that gone. Yeah. Um, that I needed, I needed to do something. Yeah. And, but I think your question was what brought me to Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Sure, no worries. Um, well, I go to school and I get a degree and I mentioned I was studying, studying sculpture. Some of that was like doing foundry work, casting okay. bronze and aluminum and, yeah. um, and iron. And so I just put applications out everywhere because I knew, um, like part of it was like my, my thinking and my logic was like for my health, I have to get away from this, yeah. this poisoned water. Sure. Um, and I apply the first place that reached out to me and offered me a job at a at $15 an hour. I said, any city that offers me 15, mm-hmm. whichever place I'll go. I got a job at the foundry did not last very long. Sure. Yeah. Um, I got laid off within a, I think like four months of working there, upending my life, moving up here and been kind of bouncing around. Now I'm in a much better place, but, um, this was, this is what brought me to Milwaukee. Right on. And so how long have you been here now? I moved here in July, 2014. So what does that make? Eight, um, eight years. Eight yeah. years. Yep. Right on. I've been, I've been here since August of 2014. So mm-hmm. you've been here just a bit more than I have, but that's, I'm just like processing all this year you're sharing about, you know, the landscape of Southern Illinois. Cause I, I quite frankly, haven't spent much time down there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, cause yeah, you're right. Like it is entirely flat for, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just going down route 57. That's all you see. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some of my favorite places back. If anybody ever has the opportunity to go Fern cliff, it's spelled F Y R N N E C L Y F F E. I've mm-hmm. heard people up here refer to it as Fernie Cliffy. Nice. <laughs> um, and, cause that's kind of what it looks like, but that, that was like my favorite place to go. All right on. You know, you, you, you mentioned like sort of your first exposure to um, collective action, you know, at the school um, with your teachers and everything. So like, what would that start looking like for you when you arrived here mm. in Wisconsin? Sure. Um, so I mentioned Lex earlier, my partner. Yeah. We met um, while we were both going to SIU mm-hmm. um, and she got a job with the Army Corps or not, sorry, not um americorps Mm. um in madison uh like within a month of me getting this job at the foundry so she actually lived there um for the first year um maybe even year and a half or two dang i don't remember (laughs) it it was it was long enough ago and long enough time that i can't remember specifically so i'm i'm here in milwaukee living by myself the only place that was willing to rent me a house sight unseen from seven hour drive away um was a three-bedroom house that was um Mm. probably about 75 percent of my income at the time um so the the immediate um moving into milwaukee was kind of lonely kind of sad almost no furniture sure um and I was working really odd shift. Um, for the first four months, I was working like 5 a.m. until 1 or so. Um, and then I got laid off from that job, as I mentioned. Then I got a job up in Grafton at another foundry. But that one started at 2 a.m. So it's about a 45-minute drive there. Oh, wow. 
uh, at two in the morning and back. And um, so most of my most of my time that I'm sleeping is when most people are up. It got really kind of depressing. Um, I dove pretty deep into alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily after a cup, maybe two years, um, I found out of some like mutual friends that like somebody I knew back home knew somebody else in Milwaukee. I met up with them and that kind of helped at least make me feel like a person again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having some contact. Um, and then Lex moved back to Milwaukee. Um, and that was really helpful, but, uh, but mm-hmm. kind of up until that point, you know, I, I did a little bit of backsliding in terms of like my well being. Sure. Um, and then a friend who, you know, I played in bands with all yeah. through like high school and, and into college ended up joining PSL party for socialism and liberation while they were living in Champaign Urbana. Oh, and they're like, Hey, I heard that there's a PSL up in, up in Milwaukee. You should check it out. And I was like, Hmm, okay. All right. Yeah. And then I, I didn't look too deep into it. And then another friend that I had that lived in Chicago was like, yo, there's a PSL in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. You should check them out. It turns out that they had an event at the jazz gallery, um, which was like just down the road from, from where I live now and where I was at the time. Um, I lived a block away at that time, but, uh, they're doing like clothing drive. So I showed up with a bunch of clothes a week early. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah. Right on. (laughs) uh, Like I showed up a day early for this yesterday. Um, I have a habit of, of being too early for things, (laughs) but I then showed up at the right time. Um, and they were specifically talking about, it was a, a meeting about the lead laterals, the lead in the water in Milwaukee. Oh, sure. Um, and this was with the coalition to get the lead out. Um, and Which is it, still a huge issue. It is. It is. 70,000 yeah. homes in Milwaukee, yep. all that were mandated by the city of Milwaukee to ha- have lead laterals. The city needs to replace those lead laterals at the city's expense. Yes. To think that, what was this, probably like five years ago when you... Um, so this would have been summer 2018, I believe. Sure. So four years ago, like, you know, there was still, there was attention being brought to this. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, it is still being brought atten- brought attention to, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not right. But I saw that immediate connection to yeah. the water issue, which yeah. I mentioned was, was something in Southern Illinois. And I was yeah. like, this is how I can get back into this. And, yeah. and everything I had read about the, the politically about the PSL, the program, I was like, this all resonates really well with me. So sure. I saw Bobby and Erica there, a couple other folks who were um, have since moved away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Let me get involved. And the rest is um, put me on that. I mean, that's what put me on this tra- trajectory to bring us here together in this room now. Sure is. And uh, I appreciate you sharing like kind of all that context to like you know you had had experience personal experience and understanding of you know some social issues uh like regionally being from south illinois and then coming back coming here to milwaukee like seeing that there's another uh manifestation of that and like being like yeah we need clean water to survive Mm -hmm. and this isn't something that can be tampered with for for profit and for enterprise that's a very understandable catalyst to get involved in your community mm-hmm. um just in case folks don't know what what the issue with the with a lead lateral is um i'd be happy to just really quickly share Please. but um we have seen specifically in milwaukee in the 53206 um 
uh, zip code, as well as parts of, of, of south in Milwaukee and not as much northwest, but kind of almost on the outskirts. These homes were mandated um, to all have lead laterals. Um, lead poisoning, if a, especially as a child, if, that, if, it, if you develop lead toxicity, um, you're, you, the chances of developing long-term life mm-hmm. um, developmental disorders yeah. goes up. And there's something like one in four children in 53206 who have ele- like above the EPA's safe level mm-hmm. of lead in their bloodstream. Um, and the city's plan right now with 70,000 lead laterals to be replaced over, um, I think it was 100 years, um, that's condemning at least another four generations of children to these permanent so developmental up. disorders. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, we're working to demand that the city replace them now, because as, you know, as socialists, as Marxists who are kind of explore, exploring the political economy of this, mm-hmm. um, this is what creates the conditions that leads to school to prison pipelines. That's right. Um, to keeping generations of families and particularly black families yeah. from being able to achieve the same things that um, white and more affluent neighborhoods in Milwaukee have access to. So it is a systemic issue. It sure is. And it is also somebody can make a profit off of it. Right. Yeah, precisely. Um, and uh, that I think it's also a good time to plug our uh, free water for pregnant people program Mm -hmm. which we're uh, currently which we've been doing for a few months now Um, so uh, the party for socialism and liberation get the let out coalition are providing uh, free cases of water to anyone um, to any household who uh, has a pregnant person living in it uh, who might be um, uh, exposed to these lead laterals Uh, we will provide free water uh, to your doorstep Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd be happy to provide a link in the description of this episode to to the program so folks can get involved uh, uh, or sign up so like you you your first uh, uh, interaction with the PSL was in 2018 had you had um, much experience with Marxist Leninism prior Lenin not so much but I had read Marx's wage labor and capital. Okay. Um, which is if um, kind of a, a much easier approach to Marxist economics than, let's say, capital, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a three volume tome. It's very, it's very large. And, and I, I myself have not even been able to sit down and read it all, but I have definitely studied it in sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, but wage labor and capital just kind of distills the, the, the concept that, we as working people are all the value that all the value that is created in something is a result of the labor that we put in. Um, and so a thing on its own intrinsically doesn't have a value. You could take a lumber, mm-hmm. um, you have to mill it up, you have to cut it, you have yeah. to form it into something. And that process of creation is what creates the value. Mm-hmm just because somebody owns the building that that was made in that they are entitled to the all of almost all of the profits is kind of a ludicrous idea because those people also probably stole the money from somebody to own the that means of production right right um and this is at a point where i was actually working at a at a store doing repairs on oriental rugs um 
kind of worked all over the place and, and self-taught my way to be able to kind of get around. But I'm working on these rugs that are, um, you know, decades old that took a team of like 12 people six months to create and then they're shipped over to the United States. These people probably made like $5 in a month. Um, and this rug is now being sold for, you know, fifteen, yeah. twenty thousand dollars yeah. And then some asshole on North Lake Drive wants me to cut it three oh, feet yeah. wide so that it can fit between their fridge and their kitchen island. And <laughs> so I'm reading yeah. wage labor and capital while I'm doing this. And I was yeah. just like, this system is broken. Yeah quite ludicrous as you said like it's some shit you'd you'd think uh that's some like not the onion shit mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah 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 my my first exposure to marxist theory was actually my senior seminar for uh my journalism degree at uwm uh shout out to professor eric Lohman uh because uh i <sighs> Like I had some classmates at UWM that were very, very libertarian. <laughs> so like I didn't know much about Marxism, but they were always like, "Oh, Marxism is is poisoning humanities programs are you know poisoning our fucking like American way and shit." And so I was like, "Well, uh, okay. Well, I don't really know much about this, so uh, I'm gonna just see how it goes and." turns out like it doesn't take much diving into marxist theory political economy of the media for it to make sense mm -hmm. you know so you you have led seminars uh in safe handling of, mm -hmm. of firearms um so i think that like firearms like you know guns in general are often framed as you know this like bipartisan issue between like liberals and conservatives but liberal solutions to guns um don't actually uh solve the the root causes of of gun violence and i mm -hmm. think it's worthy to kind of touch on like well what does the left collectively need to understand about safe handling of firearms like you know from from a a, a socialist perspective like what do you sure. have to say about that so, you know, for me, I got into shooting as a hobby before I considered myself a socialist. Um, and that is something that has always been kind of a strange topic I've, I've learned as like I'm having conversations with um, very conservative people who find out I own and, and, and like practice target mm -hmm. shooting with a pistol and they're like wow i have a lot of respect for you now and it's like why is that the thing that warrants respect sure um and i think part of that is because the culture in the united yeah. states especially is hyper fixated on violence it is yeah. a culture that promotes war as you've mentioned before yes um but i think that that shouldn't that that thinking um and that kind of culture shouldn't necessitate us who are in opposition to, um, you know, what a, like neo neoconservative um, and and like socially conservative concepts within the within the United States, um, we shouldn't necessarily take that as like okay, so this is off limits. I think I think that one of 
uh, it's a very controversial topic and it's very touchy, but I think that given the, given the actual nature of the United States being one where there are guns all over the place, there is very easy in most states to acquire a license to conceal mm-hmm. carry a firearm. Yeah. I think that if if the culture of guns is going to be brought up, the most important thing, the most important thing that we're focusing around it is a culture of of safety with ourselves and with yeah. our community mm-hmm. around it. Um, so myself personally, I I am more than happy to take friends and comrades out to the range to give them, you know, an environment where they've got somebody who is encouraging them, giving them tips, giving them pointers, specifically, you know, to to have fun shooting at targets because mm-hmm. it is a lot of fun and it is actually very rewarding when you can kind of measure your progress over time. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people who find themselves on the left also have, you know, for either an aversion to the conservative thinking or the liberal concepts that like guns only belong in the hands of the police and in the army, yeah. which I would say is equally a reactionary yeah. way of, of yeah. addressing it. Um, because we know what the police in the United States do. Yeah. We, we know what we know what our armed forces do in occupying other territories. Mm-hmm. Um, they're using those guns to in, inflict violence um, to create order and control mm-hmm. for the capitalist state, for imperialism yeah. to thrive. Um, and on the left in general, I think that there's a lot of like cavalier um, attitudes towards guns. It's like, we need to glorify them for the revolution and you know all we should take pictures of ourselves like um and idolize the the actual like armed struggle of revolutionary thinking and i think that what needs to be stressed more than that is understanding that like that is an aspect of revolution but it is not what necessitates revolution what nece- what like what creates the revolution is people mm-hmm. and people <laughs> in general aren't soldiers they aren't like these people who are going to be fighting yeah. and and shooting at each other there are people who are going to be building connections and foundations in their mm-hmm. community yeah. foundations of care support mutual aid right. education all these things are necessary for the left yeah um so with that you know that being said i think the 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 counter to um the hyper masculinization hyperfixation yeah. on the violence fetishization fetishization um, of of firearms and guns in the in the united states um, we also need to resist the the like liberal notion that um this is an off-topic subject and anybody who supports arming themselves um is a bad person right um some of the most caring compassionate people that I know are folks who have concealed carry licenses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. Yeah. And with that, I think comes a, a serious responsibility in understanding our role. Um, and what this, what, what is the definition of violence? Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you look at, um, you know, I, <laughs> I've, I've been enjoying watching, um, Kwame Ture speak at schools, like mm-hmm. recordings of that. And there's a situation where he's kind of talking about national liberation and the right to oppress people to defend themselves by any means necessary, right, whatever right. that looks like. Yeah. And if that looks like responding to your oppressors with with guns, with violence, 
that is within their right because they yeah. didn't start the violence. Right. Um, they're the responding did. to the violence. And there's a student who comes up at, in the, during the Q&A session and says something like, you know, Mr. Kwame, I, I support a lot of what you're saying, but above all else, I believe in peace and I'm not about that violence. And, and so he goes, okay, so um, I bust down your house. I, I beat up your parents. I tie you up. Um, I'm punching you. I'm kicking you in the face. Um, and you have the opportunity to respond with violence to me to make me stop. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And nothing to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I think that we're talking, we, coming back as a Marxist, we're talking about like how we're told to be consumers as children. We're told yeah. uh, through the media, as you've got this like critical lens, Mark, your introduction to Marxism was through like media criticism. Yeah. We're seeing that like these ideas and these things that people think um, about these big concepts, these political concepts, um, a lot of it is just what we're told and people don't mm-hmm. take the time to really think about it. Yeah. Um, so for me, ultimately, the the issue of, of like firearms among the left it's not something that we should be glorifying because nobody wants violence. We don't right. want war. Of course. We don't want to fight. We don't yeah. want to have to like even necessarily address the situation of, of having to use violence against somebody. But if we deny ourselves and we deny the opportunity of other people elsewhere to liberate themselves from their oppressors, if it requires them using violence to do mm-hmm. so, then we're living in a utopian, idealistic world where our privilege is very much seeped in that right yeah absolutely yeah you couldn't have said it better like that's a it's you know if you if any of us study um liberation struggles of the past you know um such as the black panthers um we're looking at uh or the intifadas right in palestine you know you 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 take the the material conditions that you know were oppressing um that are oppressing folks um after a while yeah like you know there's a couple sparks and uh folks get sick of it but but right it's it's resistance to violence is not the same as the inflicted violence itself mm-hmm. um as they say punching up is not the same as punching down mm-hmm. is a a phrase I've heard thrown around. So I fucking hate violence. You know, I, I cannot stand violence. Um, but also it, like you said, it'd be way too, it's so idealistic to think that, you know, that the revolution will be solely nonviolent. Um, because yes, we would, we, we would hope for that as much as the next person, but, um, relying entirely on a solely peaceful means is you know we hate to say it but it it is ahistorical mm-hmm. so um it it is worth educating yourself about proper safe firearm use um to to defend yourself and your comrades of course but it's also absolutely acceptable too to not want to do that right yeah um because everybody has a role to play yeah and um we can't all be super soldiers right in fact i can't i mean i physically am incapable yeah you know actually i would like to 
hopefully, as to the best of my my recollection, quote Thomas Sankara, revolutionary figure uh, from Burkina Faso, who um, very recently his murderers um, have been uh, found as guilty and mm. sentenced to life uh, life sentences for um, for the murder of Thomas Sankara. Um, but he was uh, you know he was a soldier originally, and he led this revolution to. Um, kick off the yoke of French imperialism in Burkina Faso. Um, and he said, uh, a soldier without an ideology is a potential war criminal. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent it, but that's the, that's the, um, idea is that if you don't understand what you're fighting for and why you're fighting for, then every action you take is a potential war crime. Yeah. That is something to sit with for sure. Um, right. Like there has to be some kind of structural apparatus to understand what you're fighting to liberate, what we're fighting to liberate ourselves from and, and what can be the, the closest thing to a a just societal understanding. And, you know, for us, that is socialism, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a good segue into kind of talking about the last thing I wanted to talk about, which one thing I love about being part of the PSL is that we are a constantly evolving and adapting party, Mm -hmm. right? Like our, our party lines shift and adapt accordingly based on the, um, what's happening in the world at the time, based on what is, what is, you know, what is continuously going on like materially and societally locally even you know every each every city you know that the party has a presence in has you know different things that need attention um but we're all fighting for the same liberatory party lines and but i like that you know we're always constantly like um challenging ourselves Mm -hmm. and uh, I guess my question here is what have just been some of the most defining moments for you as a comrade in the last, you know, two years or so as, you know, we're in this rapidly shifting and increasingly unpredictable world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, what, like, what has, what have been moments that you felt like have been most like, you know, I guess uh, uh, visceral, profound, impactful for you? Um, as as an organizer, sure. Um, bit of a loaded question. I yeah, think. yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's good because I mean, you you mentioned it's. I mean, there's there's been so much. We've got these basic principles that we're always kind of organizing and putting at the forefront as like this is what we're fighting for, right. um, and the conditions are always changed. We couldn't predict the pandemic. Yeah. Um, we could predict that you know a black per, a black man would be murdered by the police, right. um, but we couldn't predict that that George Floyd's execution would be caught on camera and go viral the way that it was, which led mm-hmm. to an uprising. And you know, here in Milwaukee, we've we've had a string of of very recent, very violent racist police killings as yeah. well. Um, and, and it's important that we're like always kind of aware of that and, and in solidarity with the families and the communities and mm-hmm. pushing, uh, pushing for the, to get money out of the hands of the police and back into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's hard to you know it's hard to kind of pinpoint but i do i do think that um one of the things that that i'm very excited about and and proud to see happening things don't move as fast as we want them to and that's right. that's kind of going to be the reality of things for a while until hopefully we can build build these stronger connections and 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 ourselves organizationally mm -hmm. um as individuals within the organization being better better trained better skilled better at um speaking better at knowing where to put pressure um and for me over the last years with the party something that you know i've had the opportunity to go and meet um organizers from all across the country oh, for yeah. various like educational processes mm -hmm. um skill development and bring being able to bring that back to milwaukee and the thing that the thing that always inspires me is like you know r recently i was in new york with a couple of comrades um and i, I think there were like 10 or so branches that were being represented there mm -hmm. and we're all kind of taking turns talking about the main struggles where we've been involved in and just like listening to Hayden and Bobby mm -hmm. and, and, and then myself speaking on these and being like, wow, we really have like we've grown and we've developed a lot. Um, it's inspiring. And I think that, as you mentioned, like the BDS um, with a BDS event, yeah. we've got a really solid coalition of people who are consistently doing work. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't at least to my understanding, we haven't seen anything like that um, being organized in the way that it is mm -hmm. um and and i'm excited about that because mm -hmm. um you know it, as we know there's like so many events that kind of radicalize you one of the things that was really influential for me the start that also helped me kind of start questioning things was like i saw pictures of what what what's going on in gaza in 2012 oh, yeah. and that's when i was like also just like hmm maybe maybe cnn maybe msnbc Maybe they're lying to me, right? Uh, maybe even yeah. you know some of these some of these uh, progressive groups like Democracy Now aren't even quite covering the things to the extent that they should right. be. Right. Um, so I'm happy about that. Additionally, you know, for for me, um, something that I was very very much involved in last year was working with the Wisconsin Coalition to Normalize Relations with Cuba. Right on, yeah. To in the blockade and um, which has been. Uh, in effect since 1960 Trump on his way out added 254 additional measures that just made it even harder for people to get um, you know basic medical supplies for Jeez. people to be able to send money back to their families yeah. um, and the promise was that Biden was going to revert back to the way things were with Obama and and as we know Biden hasn't fulfilled any promise right um, right being able to organize these these caravans at the end of every month um and the, and watching them get bigger and bigger every month and and watching the discussion about mm -hmm. the political situation in cuba regardless of whether or not you identify as a communist or a socialist or or anything but being able sure. to bring that humanity and understanding that like this blockade is cruel and it's yeah. being done by the hands of of the united states mm -hmm. um being able to develop that consciousness within milwaukee um, that's the one that like I saw a direct hand in, yeah. but knowing that we're doing, we're doing this on multiple fronts, um, and just building that understanding, building, building knowledge and power within our class in in Milwaukee. Um, it's, it's started slow and it's been progressively getting more and more active. 
Yes. And that's, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. And I can only imagine where we're going to be in another two years. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know you were also involved in the uh, unemployed council. Mm -hmm. Was that, yeah? Yeah. I mean, more than anything, that was kind of a learning experience for us. We were able to help a few families um, to get, um, get the unemployment benefits that they were entitled to, particularly working with um, immigrant families Mm -hmm. who English isn't their first language. Mm -hmm. And nobody on on that 1-800 number from the city or the state or federal or anything is willing to actually help them out. Um, And and having to explain like, no, we're not employed by the city. Um, We're just, you know, people in your community who have the time and the ability to help you out. you know, it was it was a small impact, but we really learned a lot and we've been able to to more effectively approach the strategies that we have yeah. um, as a result of that. Right on. Yeah, that's good mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, definitely big right on with everything you, you said. Um, I guess one of the ways I guess I've sort of like um, uh, compartmentalized my revolutionary optimism is like, you know, you, you always you always say like when you're first getting started out with something, it's like, well, Hey, if I helped one person, like it made this worthwhile. Right. Well, those, that one person that you help, um, uh, or, you know, someone who, whose life you made easier, someone who you gave a resource to just somebody who you shared new information with, um, which, you know, we were able to do with the people's platform survey. Mm Um, you know, gradually like, that will kind of it it will proliferate that one person you helped will become five people mm-hmm. the file like next time soon that'll become 10 people soon that'll become 50 people next thing you know you're helping hundreds of people all over the neighborhood all over uh the side of town all over the city and uh, like you said in in the in two years who knows like we could be you know reaching thousands of people like you know not only within milwaukee but beyond mm-hmm. um i know that we're we're uh in the midst of of uh forming a branch in madison mm-hmm. is yeah mm-hmm. there's always the potential for at large members too like you know the, the 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 message and the um revolutionary um ethic and, and ambition and 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 hunger for revolution is apparent it's understandable it is just and it is unstoppable mm-hmm. um and so i think that the people that we'll yeah continue to um to be able to help to be able to organize with to be able to fight for real change um on a local level on a local level but you know also a national level also a um international level if we're being honest like it, none of it is futile it's, it starts with just helping one person, but that one person quickly becomes exponential. And that, that is something that helps inspire me as I continue to do party work. Mm-hmm. And in you teaching one person, you're also learning from that person as yeah. well. And you're yeah. developing those skills for yourself. Um, and that, you know, that's something I, I have conversations with some of the comrades who are relatively newer than i am in the branch and they're and like i'll reflect and i'll be like here's all these incredible things that you have accomplished in the last year and and they're like well i you know i needed you to help me through there and i'm like and i have grown as a result of that and that's i mean for me more than anything is understanding that like 
it's not about you know it's not about us as individuals progressing this but it's us coming together and understanding that the more of us and that we have and the more time and the more intentional and organized and disciplined and dedicated we are to it we are all going to grow together and creating actually you know a multinational um party that can fight for the people because we are the working people say that shit maddie Mm -hmm. um yeah, uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. I've really, really enjoyed, yeah, just, you know, learning more about your background, like, and what led you here. And, you know, it's been awesome uh, continuing to organize in the party with you. Um, yeah, uh, my last two questions, uh, which I close every episode with. Um, the first one is what keeps you up at night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the easy answer would be my cat. Oh, uh, yeah. Wants to get fed at f- four in the morning. What is it? A tree? That's arcane. I, but also uh, have tree. Tree and arcane. Arcane's the one who um, doesn't respect boundaries. Ah, uh, uh, yes, right. Um, but other than that, what keeps me up at night? Often, it's uh, remembering. Oh, I meant to. I meant to make this connection with this person. I meant to send this email out. Oh, I need to do this copy edit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot. I I double scheduled something, um, and just that constant like, whoops, what did I forget this time? Yeah. And if it's not that, it's my toes because, uh-huh. as I mentioned, I got rheumatoid arthritis, and for some mm-hmm. reason at night they just feel like there's like ants Ugh. eating the inside of them. Oh yeah. Um. So that keeps me up sometimes. Sure. Well, yeah, I I definitely relate to you on the like. Uh, constant analyzing what do I have to do what did I forget that's why I make a lot of notes in my phone Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Um, I got post-it notes all over my desk oh yeah yeah for sure boxes to check them off whenever I've accomplished them very necessary the second question is what puts you to sleep Um, when my toes are acting up I just take some Benadryl (laughs) damn toes (laughs) Um, but also you know what puts me to sleep um being able to reflect on and on on what has been accomplished mm-hmm. that helps me to strategize but also knowing that i've got folks like you and everybody else that we organize with that it's not all it's not all on me it can't mm-hmm. be just me doing this work it, it this is a collective thing if i forgot that copy edit i bet somebody else could take care of it in the morning while right, i'm at yeah. work if I forgot to send this email, I bet this person will still respond, even if it's 24 hours later than I anticipated. Um, just taking taking the minute to like take a deep breath and realize that this is a this is an ongoing process. That right. socialism, building socialism, building a revolution towards a an equal and just society that takes care of the needs of people mm-hmm. um, instead of the needs of a very few amount of people, yeah. is a collaborative process, and yeah. that gives me the hope and ease that I need to sleep. Agreed. Um, yeah, we are not ever meant to spread ourselves so thin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to do. It's the way that we are taught yeah. to exist in this country. Right on. And that is indicative of how we need to dismantle the system. It sure is. And we could talk about it for hours, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Ben. You bet. For everyone listening, tuning in, um, I will be uh, leaving a link uh, to the party for socialism and liberation. Check us out. 
Um, if you're interested in joining or just visiting our page, if you see something uh, like an event or anything you want to help out with, we're always looking for new comrades, uh, people to organize with, solidarity with uh, oppressed people everywhere, and uh, long live the revolution. Long live the revolution. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. I'm not a man, 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 I'